Our second reading today continues the gospel reading from Luke. I'll be reading verses 37 through 45. On the next day, when they'd come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithful and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. While everyone was amazed at all that he was doing, he said to the disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. But they did not understand this saying. Its meaning was concealed from them, so they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name. To worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. As many of you know, this past week I flew out to Wisconsin to participate in my friend Scott's funeral. While I was there, me and one of my best friends, Brett, shared a hotel room. And a couple things happened in this hotel room that I wanted to share with you this morning. Brett took the bed closest to the door, I took the second bed, and our friend Nathan stored his stuff in there because he figured he would just crash somewhere, either with me or Brett, or with another friend if there was an empty bed. So there was luggage everywhere, because we had suits, we had robes, we had regular clothes, we had all sorts of different things. The the room was trashed within ten minutes of us getting in there. The first night we were there, I woke up in the middle of the night and had to go to the bathroom. I got up and went, no problem. You know, when you first wake up, your eyes are accustomed to the darkness. I turned on the light, did my business, and turned off the light, and stepped out into complete darkness. You know, hotels have that special curtain you can pull shut that blocks out all outside light. And unbeknownst to me, Brett had done that because he likes to sleep in darkness. And so there I am in a room full of pitfalls and traps of suit bags and luggage and suits and stoles and Bibles and all sorts of different stuff, thinking, how am I going to get to my bed? And then I saw the blinking blue light of my cell phone charging right by my bed. And I clung to that blue light like a lighthouse. 
And by judging where that was, I was able to say, okay, my bed is right to the, the left of that or to the right of that, which means Brett's bed's about three feet this way. And I was able to manage to get back to my bed. That little blue light blinking saved me. That light guided me through the darkness. The next morning, Brett woke up before me. And he went and he decided he needed some light. So he ripped open that darkness shade and searing light just coursed through my eyes. I was sleeping off the sleep of having a couple too many glasses of bottles of scotch as we remembered Scott and celebrated his life with friends. And this blinding light just woke me up abruptly and I could hardly see anything. The night before in the darkness, the light had guided me. But now the light was blinding me. Light is funny that way. There are some times I don't like to preach. It's not that I get up on Sunday and be like, oh, I don't want to go to church today. But I don't like to preach on Christmas. I don't like to preach on Easter. Because those are the high holy days. And to me, the scripture says it all. What else can I add to the tale of Christ's resurrection or the tale of Christ's birth? Sometimes I just want to read the scripture and says, there it is. Take it. Christ is risen. Or Christ is born. And sit down. Then there are Sundays like today, Transfiguration Sunday, when I don't want to preach because I have no idea what to say. Transfiguration Sunday is such an odd day. Jesus takes James and Peter and John and he goes up on a mountain. And all of a sudden, he is shining bright like those aliens from the movie Cocoon. And then Moses and Elijah are on either side of him. And Peter's so excited, he's like, let's build houses. Let's stay here. And then the sky opens up and God says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And then Elijah and Moses are gone and Jesus is like, all right, let's go back down. Don't tell anyone what happened. What do you do with that? I have never seen anyone glow. I've never experienced anything like that. It's so completely outside of my realm of, of just imagination. Now, it's easy to see that Elijah and Moses are representative. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses represents the law, the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which are said traditionally to be written by Moses and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, which makes up most of the rest of the Old Testament. So it's easy to see that God's glory shines bright in Christ and is reflected by the law and the Torah. That in the law and the Torah, we see the reflection of God's glory. This is my eighth or ninth Transfiguration Sunday. And most times I take the approach that we have these mountaintop experiences where we experience God's grace. But then we have to go back down into the valley that we can't stay there. There's work still to be done. And this is shown by Jesus healing the man's son. Sometimes I talk about how God's grace is or uh, God's glory is experienced on the mountaintop. But God's love is in the valleys. 
in all these different approaches, I rarely talk about what the transfiguration itself means. It's because it's so hard to deal with. So I really dug in this year. I really researched it. And I found a definition that said transfiguration is a complete change or appearance into a more beautiful or a more spiritual state. Jesus often goes off alone to pray. Sometimes he takes his inner circle. Sometimes he takes all the disciples. Sometimes he goes by himself. In this particular instance, he went up on the mountaintop, taking James, Peter, and John. And there he experienced God's glory in its fullness. There he had a particular spiritual moment, and as close as he was to God, he began to shine with God's glory. He was made more beautiful, more spiritual. It was such a holy moment that God spoke. God said, this is my son. Listen to him. And this is a pivotal point in Jesus' ministry. There's a reason why Transfiguration Sunday is always the Sunday before Lent. Because not long after this, Jesus turns his eyes to Jerusalem. Jesus begins the journey that will carry him to the cross. So as he goes to pray, he's uplifted. He's reminded that he belongs to God. That he is doing God's will. He's given the energy and the spirit to carry him through the days ahead. But the more I thought and reflected about the transfiguration, I realized that this isn't just about the transfiguration of Christ. It's about how we are transfigured as well. About how we are changed into a more beautiful or a more spiritual state of being. And I'm not talking about making yourself more beautiful by making, putting on makeup or, or buying new clothes or shaving your head so that you look extremely beautiful. I'm talking about how you could better reflect the light of God's glory. There's no doubt that James, John, and Peter who went up there were forever changed by that moment. Until then, they had not got it. They did not understand. They stumbled. They tripped. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Right after they come back down the mountain, they encounter a crowd, and there's a man whose son had been possessed by demons and convulsing and shrieking and thrashing. And the man says, I begged your disciples to heal him. And this is the other nine disciples because James, Peter, and John were up on the mountain with him. He says, but they could not do it. And Jesus gets angry. He says, you faithless generation, how much longer must I put up with you? Don't you get it? I am the representation of God's glory. I am Emmanuel, God with you. And I have empowered you. I have sent you out to heal and cast out demons. And even still, you fail. 
But James, John, and Peter had been transfigured. They had witnessed God's glory. They knew what Jesus was all about. They'd been forever changed. And they knew they were following the one. And this doesn't make them perfect. It doesn't make them without fault. Don't forget that Peter would still deny Christ three times on the night of his arrest. But it means they were a more spiritual state. A more beautiful state. Ready to receive God's word. Ready to reflect God's glory. They understood who and what they were following. The Transfiguration story is full of mysteries. Why does Jesus only take the three disciples? Why does he glow? Why do Elijah and Moses disappear suddenly when God speaks? Why did Jesus bring those three only to tell them not to say anything when they went back down? But what's not a mystery is that in reading this story, we see something beautiful and something holy and something transformative, not just for Christ, but for ourselves. We see that Christ is indeed the Messiah is indeed God's only begotten Son. And that we should listen to Him. We should follow Him. So my question to you this morning is how are you changed? How are you transfigured? How are you a different spiritual being or more beautiful being because you have chosen to follow Christ? During the history of Christianity, it's been common practice to pick up spiritual practices during the season of Lent. Often this is fasting, giving up meat, giving up sugar, giving up something. But this year, I'm going to challenge you to add something. Every Sunday from now until Easter, we are going to have during the service a time of testimony. And this is an opportunity to share how you are transfigured. How you are transformed. Who you are in Christ. I'm going to ask you to share either the story of how you came to Christ or how Christ has impacted your life. There's a sign-up sheet. Right here with a sign up for each Sunday. It's going to be in the narthex and I'm going to ask you to sign up. I'm going to ask you to keep it to five minutes because one God, one hour, try to keep to that. But I'm going to ask you to share your faith, to share it with your brothers and sisters, to share how you are transformed and shaped By following Christ. How you are transfigured into a more beautiful or a more spiritual being. Because you know and love God's only son. And because he loves you. Amen.